Today we're reading Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right. So in this season, uh, as I said, we're walking through this Advent series, and, and, the, and the overarching theme is the incarnation, okay? Again, God in the flesh. And we're looking at different aspects of what that means, what that looks like. And this morning, I'm excited as we walk through the Christmas story for us to look at and to even ask the question, what, what does it look like for us? Okay, just pause right now, even look around, think about those people that are close to you. Think about your family, your friends, your neighbors. Okay, again, to bring this to earth a bit, to help realize or even um, help remind us of, of what it looks like to be shaped by the true story. Okay, the entire scriptures from beginning to end tell a story, and it's a true story. It's historical historical events, and it's also one that's meant to inform every other story we're in, right? Whatever your own individual life is, the good news of Jesus, okay, that he came and entered into our world and lived and then died and then rose again. The good news is that your and my story is not just in isolation from one another or in competition with each other, but is actually informed and shaped by his story, by who he is, by who's, who he's created us to be, by how he's created us to rel- relate with one another and with the world around us, okay, to give answers to those things that are broken, to the world that's not the way it should be. And so what does it look like for the Christmas story to shape our lives? And again, the true Christmas story. So with that, let me go ahead and pray again in, in anticipation and expectation for uh, what God will, will, will show us and will teach us through our time together. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that um, you're good. Um, Thank you even for the heater. There was kind of a great unknown that the heater would even be on this morning. And we're here, we're inside. And um, and, and Lord, there's so many things that we can take for granted, um, including this Christmas story, including the nativity sets that we probably have in different places, including um, our uh, family until we're reminded in some way that, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and that tends to bring us back to earth. And so, Lord, I pray that through our time this morning, your story, the true story of Christmas, of Jesus coming, being born, Lord, that, that, that as we dive into that, that we will, will be shaped and informed and transformed as our minds are renewed, as our hearts are shaped by who you are, what you've done, and what you are doing. We proud this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I, in the prayer time, I mentioned the nativity scene. And those who, are, I get to, who know me a little better and we're in community together with know that um, this is a theme that I, I like. It's sort of a hobby horse for me. And um, 
It's also one of frustration to some degree. And um, I, I want to ask you about it. Okay, so think about your, your own. I didn't have a picture of my own nativity scene that we have in our house. Um, but, but I got one that looks pretty similar to it. If you see here, this nativity scene, right, um, d- does it look like yours? Does it look like most of the ones that you tend to see? A question I want to ask you is, does it look like the one in the Bible? And that's what we're going to look at and walk through this morning. And um, let me say what the goal is not, okay? Because I can be one of these people, a little arrogant, you know, a little bit prideful, which is usually born out of some form of insecurity. And um, for me, it'll show like, hey, I've gone to seminary now. I'm pretty woke. You know, I'm pretty like, I know, I know what's what. Um, so I'm going to prove my intellect and my wokeness to everyone else by, say, hypothetically, taking a Sharpie one time and coloring uh, the face of the little figure that is on our Jesse tree that was this like little bright white figurine that was supposed to be Jesus. And I was like, enough's enough. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct this scene. Or um, our nativity scene at home is like this heirloom. It's this old, handed down, it's an antique, handed down from generation to generation, nativity set. So I want to like throw it away or get rid of it and come up with a new one. But, I mean, we would have major problems if I were to do, do that. And so what, um, what do we do instead? I, again, people that's been in my house lately, I like to move the figures around and, like, upgrade certain figures. Like, okay, that's supposed to be a wise man who's um, a person of color um, compared to all the others who aren't. He's getting upgraded. He's now Joseph. And this person, okay, you're going to do And so I like to move them around and things like that. Um, so again, I have my own issues, my own shenanigans, but um, the goal is not to do that, okay, to become a little prideful and to kind of snarky, well, I happen to know who was there and who wasn't there and who should have been there, and there were no, you know, the lamb, I don't know where that little lamb came from, or that, who's that dude with a trumpet, by the way, I don't, that's, um, I don't know, um, you know, and this isn't build your own story, okay, by the way. Okay, the Christmas story is not build your own story. So what, what is the goal? What's, again, it's for us to see the real story in some ways, yes, to understand the historical progression of what God did. But again, most pointedly for us to see the real story and what God is doing. And we tend to take certain things for granted and then we miss the truth. Okay, we miss not only the historical events, but we miss a lot of what God was actually doing. I had a conversation earlier this morning with Peggy, a good, good friend of mine, and um, often just drops little dimes of wisdom. And just a few moments ago, she mentioned what a messy story the Christmas story is. How much is just chaotic and crazy. And yet we so struggle to connect the dots from that to our own messiness and struggle and brokenness. And we think, Christmas is getting ruined rather than that being a reminder all the more of, wow, God, you entered into mess and brokenness. That's why you came. Okay, so with that, again, we're going to peel back and look at the story. You can take that image off there now if it's, um, if it's uh, so now it's all ingrained in your minds. Whatever your action point or application with that, you do. Okay, work together, talk about if you want to play, move the figures around or just 
get out, you know, the paint set or whatever. Um, okay, join in that. By the way, in case, because I wasn't clear, that does, you can go ahead and actually put it back up. Say, thank you, thank you. That's not what they looked like, okay? They were, this story takes place in the Middle East, okay, modern day, think like near Saudi Arabia, Israel, right, Iran, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, North Africa, um, not Iceland. <laughs> All right, so, so we're clear. All right, thanks. We can get rid of that image now. So let's dive into the story here together. All right, we need to know the story we need to know the true story. So with that, let's pick up in, um, in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So there's a lot going on here, right, that we need to again kind of pause and step back because we've probably heard this, we've read it, we sing it, but we just say things and we often don't stop and think about what we're saying. A couple things that, that to especially a first century like Jewish audience would be reading this and would be like, what? This is craziness. First of all, if you could bring up the map here, we're going to come back to this a bit, but just to help us get our bearings a bit of what we're talking about, where we're talking about, um, this, this, right, this city that is in Galilee up there, the northern part, and it's Nazareth. And we just read it and move on. Oh yeah, cool. Nazareth. Oh, well, when was this, right? Historically just, and I'm not going to give the dates every time, but it's likely around like five B.C., okay, likely in that era, the dates got kind of, you know, so yeah, you're like, wait, A.D., Jesus, right? This is when he starts, yes, but historically, as we're talking back, it's around 5 B.C. when what we just read was, was happening. Okay, Nazareth, right? We read, oh yeah, Nazareth, of course, right? We sing songs, it's in there, it's, we talk about it, we know all this stuff. Well, it would be, and I've used this before, and I know we've got some friends here from different places, but it would be like if we're just kind of reading along and um, this angel Gabriel, who's like top dog, big time angel, and we'll talk about angels in a bit here, was sent from God. Okay, that's not every day that that happens. It's a big deal. Went to a city, he labend. Wait, what? Right, it's like we read this, it's crazy. This Nazareth is known as this very inglorious city. I talked about Yuma last time, but one of our elders is from Yuma. And so, you know, I didn't, right? Job security. Sorry, don't, don't hate on Yuma. No, um, right. We've got other people, but everyone's got another city, right? We've got Yuma. We hate to admit it, but Phoenix talks about us, right? They've got Gila Band or Dateland or whatever, um, right? And so there's all these things, but whatever it is, Nazareth is like that, it's somebody else's kind of chump city. And the fact that God would choose to go there is a big deal. And some other things, okay, it's an unlikely place. These are unlikely people. We read there, right? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And as we press on and you learn more about the story, these two characters are incredibly poor. Joseph and Mary. 
Mary is a woman, first of all, in that time, completely overlooked, underappreciated, undervalued, not a significant character in any story, right? If you're trying to build up and kind of build up what's going on, that God would choose to show up to, first of all, a woman or a girl who's unmarried and a virgin and poor. Like again, those, you cannot think of a more marginalized, underrepresented demographic. And again, these are things that we don't, when we have that nativity scene up, right, when we sing the songs, when we do the things that we tend to do, we don't press into the right details that clearly God is making known is he chose to enter into human history, God, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, all these things that he would chose, choose to come to that place and in this way, it's mind boggling. And yet he's also fulfilling his promises. Okay, hear me now. His prophecies, what he, he called his shot. All right, God called his shot from way back, from way before throughout history. He's given, what, okay, that's what prophecies are. It's calling your shot. It's Babe Ruth standing at the plate saying, I'm going to hit it there. And then boom, you hit it there, right? It's, but even more than that, because throughout thousands and thousands of years, it's God knowing the story that he's not reacting to, but that he has written. And it's him saying, I'm the author of this whole thing. So I'm going to determine what happens and when it happens and how it happens and to whom and through whom it happens. And God is also the hero of the story. Okay, and so he's writing this whole thing and he puts all the details, including, right, we would miss Joseph of the house of David. Well, that's a big deal. If he was from the house of Benjamin, right, if he was from some other group, some other tribe, some, then he, he wouldn't, which David wasn't one of the tribes, but by the way, but he was, the house of David was significant because the prophecies, again, God calling his shot said, this is where my Messiah. This is how I'm going to enter into the story is going to come in this way. And we'll see where that comes. So there's this whole deal. But now look, right? Where was, and this can be audience participation. Kids, if you're in, you can do this. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? Come to Bethlehem and see. That's right. Good job. Right? In Bethlehem. Well, we've got a problem. Where are they? Nazareth. Nazareth. Like that's a long way. That's really far, okay? That's like a multiple-day journey. Um, it's not just like a hop, skip, and a jump. Yes, if we're today in a car, you can get there more quickly, but this is, right, actually mentioned Gila Bend. I'm just kind of throwing this out, spitballing, but having, I've actually gotten to travel both. I'm thinking it's kind of close from like Tucson to Gila Bend. Might be something like that. Okay, it's a, it took about, I don't know, five or so hours on a bus when I got to take that take that trip. So either way, it's, it's about like that. Okay, so you're walking. Okay, this is before cars. By the way, again, historical accuracy is important. So, well, God's got a problem. Okay, first of all, he's kind of silly. He's writing his story to, you know, an unlikely place, to unlikely people at an unlikely time, and now it seems like there's a problem. But look at what he does. Okay, again, let's just be shaped by the, the story, by the, the, by the glory of God and the wisdom of God. Read with me now in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We see how God solves this problem. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So everyone had to do this. Everyone in that, that whole map, everyone from everywhere in that region had to go and, 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 and say, this is my family, this is who we are, this is, you know, like a census, right? This is what goes forward. They all had to do it. Well, just so happens that Joseph had to go to the town where he is from, right? So verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. If you can stick the map up there. Thanks, Taylor. Um, Let's thank Taylor here. He's got his work cut out for him this morning, right? Thank you. Um, Send us up well. So up, oh, there it is. I found an inconsistency in the Bible. Bible's so silly. Up, it's not up, it's down. Man, those writers miss it. No, it's always referred to as up because it's higher elevation, right? Similar if you ever say, if you're in Phoenix and you're saying I'm going up to Tucson because Tucson's better, that would be accurate. (laughs) But also, thank you, yes. But also I'm going up from Tempe to Tucson, U of A, because it's also higher elevation. It's better and higher elevation. Yes, it's further south, but it's up. So that's why, right? So again, just things like this, we pick up on that we would miss these things. Going up to, um, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, Okay, so we see some of the details again here. Press into this. We're going to see this throughout. But again, we say this phrase here, life is naturally supernatural. All right, just stop and think about that for a moment. What does that look like? I don't know your own story. I don't know all the details. As I, I had to hold back a motion, if I could call out the boys who were up here earlier, um, right? It was so sweet. Devlin and Gavin were up here, and I was sharing with Kim that my older brother is about the exact same age difference between myself that those two boys are with each other. And I, he's actually driving out here to spend Christmas with us from Missouri, and it's not all easy and pretty and neat. Like I was talking about with Peggy, there's some brokenness and different details. He's, they're coming out because my mom, who has Alzheimer's, is just not getting any younger, so to speak. And so like the time is now to come and spend some time with her. And there's brokenness, there's difficulty. And yet God works through seemingly natural ways. He's fulfilling his supernatural, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing story. And that's what we see here, that he would use, like, this is like the IRS, okay? Like, think along those lines, just details, what are you going to do, right? Death and taxes, right? You got to pay it, you got to pay the man. That has nothing to do with God, with everyday. No, it does. He's using, from our perspective, as we read through this, it's like, you have to travel. It's a burden. Come on, dude, it's Christmas. No, it wasn't Christmas yet, right? Jesus wasn't born yet. But, right, come on, we got to travel right now. It's not a good time. It's hard. My wife is pregnant. We'll get in. I don't know how she's pregnant, by the way. Like an angel came to me, but I, like, we haven't been together yet. And um, that's all part of this story. And yet God is working in profound ways to get his story the way he said it would happen. They have to travel from Nazareth to Judea because, again, in our days, they had to fulfill a census. They had to pay their taxes. They had to answer to the man. And God uses that to, to unfold his incredible story. And so now with that, let's dive back into some more of the details in the story. 
All right, things that we, we just sang about, we're going to keep singing about, stuff that we would miss. But read with me now, pick up in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And even that, right, the details, if you've ever seen like a Christmas play, it's like, no room at the inn. And someone's all mean and shouting like, man, that guy's a punk. Why was it? You know, did they smell? What was the deal? Why couldn't they come and stay at the inn? Well, again, this census is going on, right? People all went to these towns where they're from, and that happened to be a town where people, kind of a sending town, if you will, right? So a bunch of people came back, just so happened that there wouldn't be room for them. But even that is fulfilling prophecy that God had said would be fulfilled, right? That, 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 that his son, that the one that whom he would send would be born among the animals, would be born in a manger, which even just for our imagery is likely just kind of the downstairs, right? If some of you have houses that have like a like a garage where you park your cars and your dogs sleep and then you got rooms upstairs and the house is there. It would be kind of like that, okay? It's likely attached to the house, but it's this kind of picture. It's like, hey, there's no room in here, no extra rooms, but you can stay in here. And then close by, right? So you saw that, right? Right now we're just, all we've got there is Joseph, Mary, Jesus is just born, some animals are around. We don't know exactly which ones, right? And that's it. But nearby, something happens in this scene. And let's again continue looking at more of these details. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and pick up with me there. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. A couple more details for us to pick up. Shepherds in that day, not like the cool grandfatherly figures we just saw that are like have beards and kind of they actually look a lot like the kings or the wise men that you see and you're like which one's which oh that one has a staff I guess that's a shepherd I don't know right in that day it, it would not this again it would first be like wait what shepherds they're outcasts they're ceremonially unclean they can't even they get turned away at the door if they come to worship they've been handling animals. They're unclean. They're likely stinky. Okay, they're, they're, it would be like, again, in our context, if you said people who were homeless or, you know, gypsies who wander the earth and they had this kind of people looked at them sideways. They ushered their kids across the street if, they, if you're talking about shepherds. So the fact that shepherds are part of the story is a bit different as well. They're out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Well, why would that be? Angels, right? The little figure on top of my tree is like chubby and cute, and I would, I would kind of want to snuggle with it. Like, why would they be afraid right now? Right? Angels are warriors of light. They are inspiring, awe, like fearful beings, like scary things. And these, these shepherds, all of a sudden, they're face-to-face, -face, they're interacting with an angel. Again, not a, not a cuddly, chubby little being that flies around and wears a diaper. Okay, but this is, this, and so they, they see this angel, and the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The language there, by the way, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word evangelism or evangelizing, right? Even, like, we're out at... Winter Haven last night and there was someone with a microphone like talking to the crowd 
I'll just say it that way. I think in their mind they were evangelizing, kind of open air of evangelism. This one didn't seem to be as harsh or mean as sometimes it is. But even there, all right, I'm a pastor. My first thought isn't like, oh, that guy wants to evangelize me and my family. Sounds nice, right? It usually sounds angry and mean, and I'm like, ah, oh, God, you know, okay, I think it's okay, but I don't know, and we're here together to look at lights and stuff. I'm not going to go over and talk to this person. Well, that, what's happening here when, when, when the angel says, I, I'm, I, I have good news for you, that's evangelism. Okay, hey, hey guys, I'm going to evangelize you right now. Again, most of us aren't like, sweet, sign me up, sounds good. I'll sit down and be evangelized, right? It's, we think like proselytizing. I'm going to like thump you over the head and make you feel bad and stuff like that. This is, I'm going to give you good news. What if our evangelism, which yes, includes bad news, which yes, includes talking about sin and hell and separation from God and unrighteousness. Okay, that's important. Don't hear me like I'm saying that's not important. But it also, what would it look like if we approached it as sharing good news with people? In this Christmas story, that's what's going on. This angel says, I'm evangelizing you. I have good news for you that's not just for you individually, but for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Again, change your, this is like, imagine this scene right here crazy warriors of light, worshiping God. And what are they saying? They're like, God, you've outdone yourself again. You did it in this way. You continue to bring your glory through such inglorious, seemingly natural ways. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? We've heard Longinus, right, talk about this. If you know the peanut story, we sing this song. But again, now that we know a little bit more of the story, press in here and just see, God, you are bringing glory. You're bringing good news. You're healing what has been broken. You're bringing life where there has been death. And you're doing it through a poor, unmarried, virgin girl from a no-name town and you're using seemingly natural ways to bring them here to this place and your prophecies, your promises from thousands of years are being fulfilled. And then, right, the story continues. I'm not gonna go into it. Then the shepherds go and they show up on the scene and they see what's happened and they have this exchange with Mary and Joseph and they kind of trade stories and they're all just, and then this beautiful picture where Mary sits back and just takes it all in. She's holding this baby that she just gave, born, gave birth to who happens to also be her savior, who also happens to be the good news and the hope of the world. And it's incredible. It's mind-blowing. And again, as Peggy pointed out this morning, what I want us to realize is just how messy this is. And then some other things go on. Okay, what about the wise men, right? The wise guys. What about the kings or whatever they're referred to, the magi? Where did, where did they come into the picture? Well, there's more that, that we want to see that I'm going to read through this quickly. And so in, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Otherwise, I am, have it up on the screen. And I'm just going to highlight a couple things as we walk through it because I want us to see again. I'll admit myself, even now, pastor, all this stuff, often I struggle to connect the dots of what's going on. I think 
Okay, now I get right arrogant and proud. Okay, cool. These guys, the shepherds were there, not the wise guys, you know, not the, not the wise men, not the, not the kings. Like, they weren't there. But why were they there? Like, what's going on? Why did God even do that? Well, let's see some of, again, press in a little more to the true story so we can be shaped in our own lives by what God is doing here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. So pause right there. Where is that? Likely like Persia, okay? Modern day Iran. Okay, think of that area, right? So Iran, east. So east, again, if you're picturing, if you could bring up the map again, just so we see. We keep coming back to it, okay? So they're in Bethlehem down there, Jerusalem, and kind of um, northeast of that is where we're talking about, somewhere in there, okay? Some call it the, the Orient, okay? But that's where they would be coming from. And these are people, clearly men of great wealth, and we know that by what they do. But that's where we're thinking, okay? So they're over there, and they're, make, and they're just over there, and then God um, calls them over there. How does he do it? Through a star. Some goes, oh, it's natural. It was the Big Dipper's little, you know, handle was directing, and that just all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah. No, we, again, God, God miraculously revealed himself and called these wise men who knew God's promises from of old and who understood God is doing something great and they see this star and God uses that to call them to go and participate and see and worship in what he has done. So it says they came to Jerusalem and so they went right to Herod. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is a fulfillment, again, of prophecies. Just if you're taking notes or even for a mental note, God called his shot way before in Numbers chapter 24. In Daniel chapter 9, we understand that this star would be a sign. Okay, so again, this isn't just like, oh, whatever, these guys are walking around, they look up, they happened upon the scene. No, God, his story is unfolding. He's the author. He's working incredible things. When Herod the king heard this, Herod's a bad guy, by the way, when he heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he's the king of the Jews, right? The fake one, not the real one who just was born, right? Herod's the, 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 the political king of the Jews, and he doesn't even know. Right? He doesn't even know his own scriptures. He's secular. He's trying to hustle everyone. He's, and so he, he, he says these things. And so he gathers everyone. What's, what's all this stuff? Like what's going on? What's this star, this king, this, this who's supposed to be born? What's happening here? And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Again, hear me right now, especially if you are not a follower of Jesus. All right, if the Christmas story if is just kind of, you know, fruitcakes and Christmas carols and hot chocolate and, you know, uh, broken f family and whatever it is that comes to mind for you. This is the Christmas story. This is truth. And this promise was, comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Over 400 years before Jesus would be born, God called a shot and said where he would be born. In Bethlehem. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men um, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he learned all this stuff and just kind of picking up the story. Basically, he tricks these, these, these wise men and says, what's all this about? And they say, oh, well, we're here to see the king. And so the, he says, okay, guys, here's the deal, okay? I'm a worshiper, all right? I want to worship too. So you go and scout it all out for me, okay? Go find this king who's been born, who's going to topple my kingdom, and um, go and, and tell me where he is so I can go worship too. They're like, okay, cool. We'll go do that. So they go and they find him. And before we get back to God, again, protects from that, which by the way, he, at the end of the story, he basically reveals and says, guys, don't go back to Herod. He's, he's faking. He's, he's tricking you right now. Okay. He's not trustworthy. He's, um, he wants to actually do harm. So they actually don't go back to him. All right. So they don't go back to Herod. But let's look at something here. That, again, I admit, I, I often overlook what's going on here. In verse 10, they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, so they're in the house now. They're not in the stable anymore, or the manger. Okay, they go in the house. It's likely a year after, within the first year after Jesus was born. Okay, so again, just so we understand, it's not right when he's born, little baby. Oh, here's some shepherds. Here's that, that dude with the lamb. Why'd he come? And here's the other thing, you know, and a trumpet. And hey, can you please not blow your trumpet right now? There's a baby. I'm trying, you know, any of us who have kids know we're like, you get that trumpet out of here. And okay, well, this is like a year later, okay, or within the year. So it's not, but look what happens here. Again, focus on the right part of the story. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Why? Again, that's weird. I don't know about you, but if you've ever held a little like one-year-old baby or you're sitting there, right? They're, you know, you're trying to wean them, they're nursing, whatever. And then these three really wealthy people come and bow down and worship. Uh, it's kind of weird, dude. That's my kid right now. Like, actually, I need to change his diaper. Like, right? Like, get in. This is the real story here. And yet, they're worshiping. This is something we cannot miss. This is a fulfillment. Again, hear me now, right now, okay? I don't want us to miss this. This is a fulfillment of God's promises from thousands of years before, from Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter 12, where we're told that a name would come, Emmanuel, God with us. A name would be established that would be a blessing to all the nations. Well, why did God have to call these guys from the east? Why are they out there? They're from the nations. They're from afar. These, these, these wise men came from other lands, to come all the way and to bow down and to worship. And then in Philippians chapter two and in Revelation chapter seven, the very last book of the Bible, we get a picture of what will happen. Everyone will come from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow and, and, will, and, will, and will worship. And we see that. We see both the fulfillment of God's promises and a foreshadowing of his promises that are to come. And then again, verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And then just if you're connecting the dots, you could bring up the map here. I'll also point out what happens there now. They get word that Herod's trying to kill all the babies two years old and younger. Okay, we just fi finished up in the book of Exodus, right? And Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt, all the Hebrew boys born, he ordered that they would be killed 
because again, there was a, um, he, he knew that that meant that his kingdom would be toppled and he tried to thwart God's plans. And yet, of course, we know the story, Moses survived. And then eventually, right, we just finished this, God's people were left and were set free out of the land of Egypt. Well, ironically, guess where Mary and Joseph and Jesus flee to to find safety? Egypt. I won't get into this too much, but in our day and time, I've got to emphasize this, by the way. We tend to embrace like nationalism and different things and embrace, oh, well, Israel, that's God's people. That's God's country. They're, God's on their side right now. Or hear me right now. I might get some things thrown at me, but I just, I, wouldn't, I want to be faithful, all right, in preaching. Well, this is America, right? We're on God's side. We'll always be on God's side. We'll always do this thing. Egypt, they're the bad guys, right? Even as we pick into the story right now, right? What's one of, what's like public enemy number one right now in our day? We would tend to think, oh, Syria, Iraq. So, well, guess where some of the very first missionaries ever came from? Syria. Okay, this, where where did the first, some of the first worshipers of Jesus come from? Iran. Okay, I'm not, I'm not getting into all this stuff like, oh, those are, but I just want us to recognize God is writing his story, and we need to be careful if, like Herod, we think, well, I'll just take this stuff for granted. Clearly, we're the good guys. We're here. I'm in Israel. God set us free from Egypt. I'll just kind of move on and won't even stop and consider what's going on, any of the details of the story, whatever's interfering. No. What does he do? Right? He wants to put to death the Son of God. And where do they flee? Egypt. Or just a couple of weeks ago, we saw God delivering his people out of. Okay, the point is, where do we find ourselves in his story? Okay, as we, as we close, a couple things I want us to make sure we see. Again, I want to ask that question. How is your life, how is this Christmas season shaped by the true story of God? By the Christmas story? What are some details that we've seen God do that he's revealed himself? One is, again, there are no little people, no little places. He chose to show up on the scene in Nazareth to really unlikely people. Okay, what, what, what kind of paradigms do we need to have shifted where we expect, oh God, of course you work through these people in this way, in this place, in this time. And also, we see how delicate this story is. Again, my conversation earlier with Peggy, I want to keep bringing this up. What's going on in your life that's seemingly inconvenient, that's messy, that's broken, that's not the way it should be? How might God be using that to unveil, to weave together his beautiful redemptive story? All right, I won't give you details, but last night about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, my whole family, so we've got four kids, my wife, myself, we're circled up in the in the in the kitchen there are tears there's frustration this isn't the way it's supposed to be this is christmas be happy you know and like i gotta preach tomorrow i did say that by the way so you know it's and we in these things it's like oh this is you know let's just all pretend put it on get better right move on with with stuff this is there's something more important going on what we see here is god works in the mess and so what my, my hope is as we close as we respond right now and the question again is how do we Look at his story, the true story of God coming in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. 
How are our lives, our story, shaped, informed, transformed by who he is and what he's done and the context surrounding how Jesus was born? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, being at work. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that life is naturally supernatural. Um, I, I pray that in this season right now as our church and our, our families, different interactions we have, I, I pray you would help us be really, really present. Um, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, all of us here, whether it's people who have put their faith in you before or have not yet and are just here because it's Christmas, because someone drug them along or brought them along, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in the present, that we would look back at your first coming and we would see the messiness, the brokenness, the details that seemingly could have, could have, could have fallen apart at any moment's notice and yet you were at work. And Lord, as we now look ahead to your second coming with anticipation and some of us struggle to even imagine that that day will ever come, I pray that by your spirit, again, you will allow us, open our eyes to see you in the midst of it all and to put our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. His name we pray, amen.